Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Dr. Robert Marbot, a renowned expert on homelessness, a senior fellow of Discovery Institute's Center on Wealth and Poverty. And today we're talking about fixing the homeless problem and the homeless policy problem. Dr. Marbot, thank you for joining us today on The Schilling Show Unleashed. Thank you very much for having me. Let's talk about the genesis of the problem, the modern problem of homelessness. When did we first see this beginning to become a major issue? Pre-2013, it was going down very slightly, but steadily. And then in 2013, the federal policy fundamentally changed how it addressed homelessness. And from that point on, it's just been on a skyrocketing increase. When we talk about homelessness, do we have an accurate count? Is there a way to assess how many people in America or even in a given place are homeless? It's a pretty good measurement, but it's the problem of it. It's only a once in a day. It's like a snapshot for that day. It's a Polaroid picture rather than sort of a video. It's not very robust. But we know in that about 1.2 million adults are experiencing homeless, and we know about 1.5 million children are experiencing homelessness. And those numbers are, if anything, they're undercounted, they're not overcounted. So that would be sort of the floor, uh, you know, 1.5 and 1.2 together, 2.7. And that would be the floor of the total number of people experiencing homelessness. So that's a lot of people, and that must certainly put a strain on everybody who's trying to help them when you're overwhelmed with numbers. I was looking at some pictures of Los Angeles recently, and I was absolutely stunned by what I saw just as far as the tent cities on all the streets. It was not there last time I looked. Oh, it is. The West City is the worst, and, and there's a reason behind that, because they adopted sort of failed federal policy. The policy is called Housing First, where you basically just give away a housing voucher. And since 2013, there are no more requirements of participation. So you, you don't have to meet with case managers. You don't have to go to mental health services. You don't have to use substance use disorder. You don't have to do job training. You don't have to do job placement, any of that. So since 2013, most of the federal policy has been adopted by the state of California and to a little lesser extent, Washington and Oregon. And it's just dramatically increased it. Um, think about it. If, if the fundamental reason homelessness exists in America now is because of untreated mental illness and substance use disorders that are co-presenting and you stop treating drug use and you stop treating for mental health improvement, what are you gonna have? You're gonna have an explosion in homelessness and that's exactly what's happened. So whose idea was this? I mean, if something's not working, why are we continuing? And where did the thought come from in the first place? 
Well, the thought came in 2013 as part of the, what's called the harm reduction movement. And the idea was if you gave everybody uh, a free unit, taxpayer funded, that they on their own would go seek out treatment and recovery. And, and the statistics, most cities, four or 5% try to, once they stabilize, try to go get services, but it's not a, it's single digit numbers. And the who was, it was a, at the start of the second four years of the Obama administration. And they actually said when they adopted it, that by 2015, veteran homelessness would end, 2016, chronic homelessness would end, 2020, all family homeless would end. And by 2023, which comes up in about four months here in January, that all homelessness of all types would end. Instead, it's exploded. And it was part of, and I don't know how much you're aware of the harm reduction movement, but it was part of that effort. Dr. Marbit, there was a time when, and I don't mean to be rude, but it was just what was true culturally, that we had the word bum or hobo or vagrant instead of homeless. And it was basically frowned upon and there were laws against vagrancy and people camping and putting tents on the streets. I mean, have those laws disappeared or they just ceased to be enforced these days? Those laws exist almost in, in cities, even Los Angeles, suddenly out of nowhere, a uh, super liberal city like Los Angeles is even trying to enforce it. But what's happened and in 2019, there was a case called uh, Martin versus Boise that the Supreme Court agreed to uphold. And it basically says you can't enforce any quality of life ordinances, any ordinances target, targeting people experiencing homelessness or sleeping, camping, reclining, all those things you think of in that package. And it, it's wide. It, it's it's very very many, uh, and you can't enforce any of them unless you have one more bed than the amount of people experiencing homeless. So if you're in LA and you have 92,000 people on the street, you have to have 92,000 plus one bed in order to do it. So that's why the problem exists now. And that's the law now. And so unless the Supreme Court chooses to change the, to overturn it, uh, we have to follow what's called Martin versus Boise compliance, which means you can't enforce any of those laws unless you have one bed more than the amount of people experiencing homelessness. There's some other requirements, but that's the basic core of the lawsuit. I had never heard of that, and I'm utterly astounded. Does that have application nationwide? Technically, it's all in the Ninth Circuit. So that's hence why you see a bigger problem in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, Oregon is in Portland, Washington, Seattle, California, Sacramento, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego. And what happens is when you go outside the circuit, judges can follow it, but they don't have to. If you're inside the Ninth Circuit, you have to follow it. And what's happening is other judges across the country are starting to follow it because there's no other federal guidance out there. So that's why they follow it. Is there any coming lawsuit or anything pending that would possibly work its way to the Supreme Court? It just seems like an outrageous ruling that's causing a lot of problems. And I'm wondering if anyone's going to challenge it. Well, it was challenged and it, it was went all the way up to appeal to the Supreme Court in December of 2019. 
and Ted Olson, the, the famous lawyer, the former Solicitor General, he was leading, leading the effort to try to get it overturned so that more power would be back at the local governance level so that they can implement the local laws. And the Supreme Court chose not to hear the case and let stand the Ninth Circuit. So in other words, Supreme Court read the briefs, said we're going to let that guidance stand out of the Ninth Circuit. And so everybody thought that would be the case that the Supreme Court would take and overturn it. And they chose instead to let it stand. So until another case bubbles up, and right now there's three or four at a lower level, but it, it takes five, six years for it to ever bubble up to the Supreme Court. And hopefully they'll take it at some point and, and put some common sense back into the or allow for common sense. Because right now, the homeless policy across America, there's no common sense to it. There's no common sense to how the federal government gives money. They tell faith-based and nonprofit groups that you can't have requirements mm -hmm. of service and treatment. You don't have to go to class. You don't have to attend any program. We're just going to give you free housing, often that it's accompanied with free food and free transportation. Think about a Pell Grant. If, if you just compare it to the other part of the federal government, Pell Grant's number one grant given out for education. If you get a Pell Grant, you are required to attend 88.5% of the classes, you're required to have a 2.0, and you're required to complete in a certain period of time. So if you have a three-year Pell Grant, you have to finish in three years. We do that in unemployment insurance. We do that with all sorts of other policies. So why do we not do it with this? It's the strangest thing to me. There was a group here, a church that was sponsoring a kind of a homeless rehabilitation program some years ago right here in Central Virginia in Charlottesville, and they did have restrictions on people. They had to get a job. They had to do several things. They had to stay off of drugs. Uh, am I understanding you correctly that that sort of thing would not be permissible today under the law, or is that only applying to government programs? If you receive any federal funding at all, you're not allowed to have requirements. It just flies in the face of common sense. It'd be equivalent of saying, we want you to get a Pell Grant for education, but whether you go to class, whether you pass, whether you attend, it doesn't matter. And if you fail this year, we'll give you a grant another year. You fail again, we'll keep giving you a grant until you pass. We have the incentives upside down now. You had mentioned this ruling, this court ruling, which was causing problems with interdiction regarding tent cities. Would this also have anything to do with uh, like public defecation, urination, or public drug use that we're seeing so rampantly in these cities? Is that also protected because they're homeless? Yep, that's protected because uh, you're experiencing homelessness. Now, if you have plenty of treatment beds, one more than the total number of people, then you could enforce it. But if you don't, you can't enforce it. And then you have, you know, this movie I'm working on, No Address, that we were doing a road trip around America. We were just in, in uh, San Francisco about five days ago. And San Francisco, through their health department of the city and county, they actually provide what calls a safe use zone that's right smack dab in the middle of the central business district, a block from City Hall right across the street from two federal buildings, ironically, a block and a half away from the Ninth Circuit, and they allow people to drug there. It's sort of a tented area with a uh, sort of plastic fence put around it, 
and you can come in and shoot up and they provide free all materials. They do not provide the drug, but they provide all the other materials, free glass, free foil, free needles and such. It's literally sponsored by the city's health department. And you just scratch your head and go, we're not worrying about treatment and recovery. We're worrying about being able to continue to shoot up. It just doesn't make sense. But Dr. Marvin, that you're right, it doesn't make sense at all, but it, it would seem to be far from even being neutral, that it would be causing the problems of homelessness and the related issues to become worse or far worse. Oh, it's making it far worse. And we should be taking that money and putting it into treatment and recovery. One of our film crew guys who's with us who's just hearing it, he said, uh, San Francisco and L.A. Are, are spending millions of dollars a day just to clean up their streets. You know, one number we heard in San Francisco, we don't have it confirmed yet, but they said it costs $240 million a day to clean their streets up is all their costs that's all in. And you're going, that's just insane. Why don't we put that money into recovery and treatment and address the substance use rather than uh, facilitate the substance use? It, it, again, we've lost common sense in public policy here. We're talking a lot about the cities, but is this also an issue for the rural areas, and how does it manifest differently? Oh, very. I, I'm literally right now in, in Winchester, Virginia today. They're having the same uses here. So it, it's less because the population's less, but they have the same exact issues. The, the one difference thing in the rural areas is there's much less ability of resources. There's less mental health resources. There's less substance use resources. So does that mean that there would be less of a magnet? In other words, are we seeing places if they have the infrastructure that people are actually going there because they'll be supported in some way? Where the cities that there are definitely some cities are magnets, like say Austin, Texas, uh, San Francisco, LA. And those are the places that give away a lot of things, whether it's housing or food or uh, and um, transportation. Those are probably the big three. And if you give all that away and don't require treatment, those become magnets because people say, hey, I can go get free stuff there and they don't require me to do anything. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Our guest is Dr. Robert Marbit. We'll return in just a moment. Support this podcast. Online at shillingshow.com. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. Borderhawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at News on Twitter. Show Unleashed.
The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with our guest, Dr. Robert Marbert. We're talking about fixing the homeless policy problem and homelessness in general. Let's talk about some of the problems and things that have led to the problem getting worse. And I want to go to border enforcement. Uh, This affects a lot of areas of life. Tell us how it impacts homelessness. Well, right now, there's not that much overlap in terms of the activities, but there is a overlap in terms of how services are provided. For example, in New York, that's a really big problem. And so in New York, for example, they're fighting between the, the services for treatment. They, they're having a problem for rooms. So the immigrants that have been coming up into New York have been taking the rooms that were originally set up for people experiencing homelessness. The treatment is just not working. So we have that going on. And then the underlying concept of mental illness, uh, what impact does that have? And what about treatment? Is that making a difference? Treatment totally makes a difference. Uh, Totally. That's the answer. That really is the answer. Plus job training. But then the problem has become that that there's a major, major problem now that between the federal laws not funding treatment and recovery and the lawsuits that have come in place that says you can't require treatment, those things taken together have created a major problem. And why is it an issue with treatment? Is it the cost? I mean, it would seem to me you were very enthusiastic about the prospect of it. Why is this not front and center of every policy? Part of it is uh, that a lot of people were watching when it flew over the cuckoo's nest many years ago and thought it was a documentary. And so they've moved to the deinstitutionalization movement, sort of the harm movement. Mm -hmm. And so there's the inability to get people into treatment now. It used to be you, you incentivize it. You said, if you want a free house, you want this, you had to come in and you had to go into treatment. Right now, that doesn't happen at all. Right now... You only get treatment if you voluntarily want to move into treatment. How did COVID, the COVID pandemic, and the lockdown policies impact homelessness nationwide and particularly in some of the big cities? It actually, in a weird way, death rates in the homelessness community was much less than anybody expected because they were already uh, doing a lot of the six-foot distancing. They were outdoors. They were in the air, ventilation and such. And so it really wasn't problematic as much. And so in a weird way, COVID really helped in turn. And I'm talking about the deaths connected to homelessness. Now, the problem became afterwards, they started spending so much money in COVID relief. And the COVID relief is what really drove a lot of buying these hotels and motels and sort of a real misuse of government policy at this point. Yeah, we're seeing that here locally where there are organizations that are government funded that are buying up uh, small motels and turning them into homeless shelters. We don't hear much about it after that's happened, but what has been the result of that policy? And that's a specific policy that the COVID really has caused because they use, quote, COVID relief money that on something that really didn't have anything to do with COVID, to be honest. It may have two years ago or 18 months ago, but no longer. So they're using COVID relief money to buy hotels and motels. And what they've found in California is the death rate is actually doubled inside the hotels. The overall death rate of homelessness now has doubled. Think about that. In 24 months, it has doubled. And it doubled because of 
of the extra money that got people into these hotels. Remember, people are given a room key with no treatment, no recovery, because you're not allowed to require that. So they got no pre-prepping, no no making sure you were going to be okay. There's no case managers put on site that are required to do uh, substance use or medical treatment. And so it's actually made things dramatically worse and why people think this is a good idea. Now, can a hotel and motel be done right? Yeah. Uh, places like Phoenix really did it good. And what they did was they got the hotel, they had 24-7 security, they had on-site case management and treatment, they strongly encouraged people to come into the treatment programs. And so they found a way to make it work. But most of the people aren't doing it. They're just using the quick, fast money to buy things and get new people into it. And are those increased number of deaths primarily drug-related deaths? 94% of the increase is drug overdose. So almost 100%. Not, there's about 6% miscellaneous other things, but about 94% of it is direct drug overdose. And think about what that is. We're supposed to be helping people, but you put people who have a drug issue, a substance use disorder with a severe mental illness, and you're giving them a room with no case management, no treatment. And in many cases, they provide the paraphernalia in California. And so you wonder why the death rate is doubled. It's not surprising when you actually pull the cover off of it and see what's going on. Another policy, and I believe this was coming out of California, but I don't think it's necessarily exclusive, was was a proposal that landlords be mandated to allow their houses to be used to house homeless if they were vacant, and there was going to be a penalty if they would not do so. Is, is that happening? Yes. And what, what's happening, it, like in L.A., the most extreme case is an uh, ordinance that got passed by L.A. And, and what it did in L.A. is it said that, in, in, and it's interesting, they postponed it now because of the, of the blowback, but they were going to make every hotel every single hotel in Los Angeles County to say at three o'clock and say, we have 10 people left or we have 10 rooms, we have a hundred rooms and they were going to move people experiencing homeless into the hotels every single day. So it would go throughout the entire city. Think about the mechanics of how you even do that. So every hotel by law is going to, if this fully goes through, and I I think it's probably going to get tied up in lawsuit. I, I think this is a, bridge too far. Finally, I hope for property rights and rights of businesses. And they were literally going to say, if you had 10 vacancies or 20 or 50, you had to take people in. You, you don't get to decide who you bring in. You don't, they won't follow the rules. And so that's what's going on. And it's just so extreme. It's almost Marxist in a real weird way. That was already passed by Los Angeles City Council, but they were a little creative. They said it won't take effect till the following year. And there's some other votes that have to happen. But that's the one everybody's watching. And that's the one that I, I think at some point the courts have to step in and just say, we've lost all sense of common sense here. And that doesn't make sense. And it's not fair to the property owner and it's not fair to the neighborhood. But more importantly, it's not fair to the individuals. 
They're going to get bounced around all every day at different hotels, no treatment, no recovery. And we're just moving you from one place to another every day to get you three meals and a bed. It just doesn't make sense. Use that money and build a properly structured program with treatment and recovery. We think of homeless and we think often of adults, but you mentioned earlier a very large number of children who are impacted and experiencing homelessness. So let's talk about what it does to these children and do they fall between the cracks? Oh, totally. And that's that 1.5 million we were talking about. Part of it is some of the programs and without getting into the weeds and seeds, uh, part of the federal housing and urban development, sometimes called known as HUD, they are using adult processes or adult procedures, adult programs, adult protocols, and trying to make them work with children. And to me, what's so sad about children are they did not choose this. They did not make any decision that got them into this. And if the parents have become addicted to drugs because of their mental illness, that need needs to be focused on the parent and not punishing the children. Yet right now, children are getting punished all across America by the circumstances that their parents have found themselves in. Where you're starting to see second generation homelessness, and we had never seen this in a big number until about eight years ago, it started to come up where the children are starting to become adults now, and their children are becoming homeless. And in their places in California, that number is over 20% now, where think about it, a child, the only life they knew was a homelessness life. And they become 18, they become an, eight, an adult themselves, and they were homeless all the way through. Is interdiction in that circumstance, putting the kids in foster care? I mean, it would seem to me that's a very dangerous, maybe a violent environment for them to grow up in. Is that a possibility? It depends on how good the foster care system is, because uh, there's some places where that's just as bad yeah. or maybe even worse. So it, it would probably depend on a state-by-state analysis. But what is more effective, we know, is getting treatment for mom and dad. And maybe you can't give treatment to mom and dad. Maybe you give it to mom. Then you bring dad in and and do that. And there's ways you can do that. And there are places that are figuring that out and doing a real good job at it all across America. But they're basically being told, if you do it that way, you won't get federal funding for it. And so the federal government is the largest funder of these programs, and they've tripled the amount of money they're spending on it in the last 12 years, roughly. And they're telling you, you can't follow any of the procedures that work. There was a guy some years ago, and I think he's still around. I even interviewed him once by the name, I think it was Ted Hayes, who was a homeless advocate going back uh, several decades. Is is he still active? And, and was there any good in what he was doing in advocating for this population, which, of course, was a lot smaller then than it is now? The last I heard, I haven't talked to him in about 12 months or 13 months, somewhere around there. And last I heard, he's down in L.A., and he's doing great stuff. And there are a lot of people now, because remember, the promise homelessness was going to end in January 2013. And now I think there's an awakening occurring across America now saying, hey, well, that didn't work. That experiment of 10 years didn't work called Housing First. And it did not end homeless as promised or even any of the subcategories. 
And so people like Hayes and uh, Tom Wolf, guy out of San Francisco who's done great sort of what I call the sort of guerrilla media, guerrilla journalism. And he's pointed out all the craziness of San Francisco. And he's a prior addict who cleaned up, reformed, and is trying to change the policy reforms of San Francisco. Dr. Marbet, I know you do a lot of research on the subject. It's one of your specialties. If people want to get more information, read the reports and the studies that you've put together, how can they do that? Uh, go to Discovery Institute and just type in Discovery Institute and you can navigate to the site. Or if you want to go right to the reports, fixhomelessness.org, fixhomelessness.org, one word, and you can get to the reports. And, and we got a real quick report. You can read it in about 20, 20 minutes to see how bad the numbers gotten. You'll see the background of how it got that bad. And you'll see 10 solutions that we suggest, which of the 10 Eight of them will immediately start to improve things. Dr. Robert Marbet, I have learned a lot just from talking to you in a few minutes. I hope people will take advantage of the opportunity to learn more. Thank you for joining us today on the Showing Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you so very much for having us. Appreciate it. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. <laughs>